Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the show for uh, entrepreneurs and for small business leaders that goes out right around the world every Tuesday at the same time. And if you're listening for the first time, this is the radio show where we tell it exactly the way it is. And we try to bring you up-to-date information, answer your questions, and give you some advice on how you can make your business more successful. We're also proud of the fact that we're the number one business show in the world for entrepreneurs, and we thank everyone for that. We really appreciate it. I'm very interested in your comments on my new website, which went up about a week ago or so. I'd love to know what you think. I've had some good feedback. Um, so far, no feedback, and no feedback has been bad, but I'd love to hear your views. Here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we applaud entrepreneurs, and while we prefer them to be successful, we admire anyone that gets up and has a go. So we got to thinking about why, why people don't succeed. And it seems to me there are only two reasons why people fail. If you're not achieving your goals and making yourself more successful, it's got to be because you're either can't do something or it could be that you won't do something. They're the only two choices, right? So let's look at the first of these. You can't do it. Now, if you can't do something, it's either because you don't know what to do or you lack the basic skills to do it. So if you don't know what to do, then go out and find somebody who does. Somebody who's achieved something similar to you and find out what they did to make them successful. Then you just need to create an action plan and go out and do it. So now if you lack the basic skills then to do that, then you need to get more education. And we live in a world of almost unlimited information. I mean, I go into Google every day a hundred times and I'm always looking to learn stuff. I'm always looking to chase up research um, information for the program, etc. And so obtaining high-quality training online has never been easier. It is simple. So go learn the basics, practice them, and make that part of your action plan. So if you can't do something, we just easily solve that. You either find somebody and do what they did, or go and learn how to do what you can't do. The other reason you're not successful is because you won't do something. Now, if you're not successful because you won't do something, I have absolutely no sympathy for you. You deserve to fail because if you won't do something, it's either because you've got more important things to do. If so, you need to find out when you'll find time and energy to take action. And if you don't find the time to take action, then the reality is that I guess you really don't want to be successful or you don't want to be successful 
badly enough. And if you won't find someone to ask, you won't learn the basic skills. And if you won't commit the time and the energy to take action, you are going to fail. Sure as sure as sure. Now, whether you fulfill your potential is entirely up to you. To be successful, you need a really fierce determination to succeed. And that takes care of you won't do it. All that's left then is your I can, I can't do it. And fixing that's really easy. So you either can't or you won't. If you can't, learn how to do it. And if you won't, go and get a job with the public service, with the government. Because that's about all you're good for. <laughs> the other night I was watching a movie and uh, it was a program about the damage that can be done by negative comments on the internet, you know, whether they're malicious or whether they're simply clients or people that have bought your product and for some reason or another are pissed off. Now, unless addressed, the results of this can be devastating. And after speaking to a number of my clients and friends, I realized that most people and most brands are simply not prepared to manage negative social comments. They're just not prepared for it. So I did a bit of research. Onto Google I went, and I found that over 55% of brands don't have an effective strategy in place to deal with negative comments on social networks. You know, and you know that a negative comment about your company it's got the potential to reach tens of thousands of people almost instantaneously. So these numbers are staggering to me. 55% of don't have an effective strategy in place to deal with negative comments. Now, you see on the news how um, something went viral and somebody got you know, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million hits. That can happen to you easily, and you need to be prepared for it. More information that I found that's really staggering to me is 24% of brands are in the process of developing a, a strategy for handling negative comments. They're in the, in the process of developing. Now, social media has been around for bloody years. 8% have got strategies in place that are ineffective, and 25% not only don't have a strategy, they also don't have a plan to develop one. So 25% of companies out there, maybe including you, don't have any plans to develop a strategy to address negative comments. Now, these figures come from a report by Social Media Marketing University of Iowa, who they um, surveyed 1,000 marketers, social media strategists, C-level executives, and entrepreneurs. Some other key findings were that 26% of respondents say their brand's reputation has been tarnished as a result of negative social media posts. So 26% have already been tarnished. 15% have actually lost customers, and 11% have lost revenue and yet they've still effectively done nothing about it. Don't get it. 
58% of brands receive customer complaints via social media occasionally. 11% receive them somewhat often. I guess the bigger you are, no matter how good your product is, you're going to get complaints. And 5% receive negative comments very often. And these numbers are increasing very quickly. And we also know that in order to stop or at least slow down complaints and turn around a dissatisfied customer, we need to respond very quickly. We can't allow this to fester and people to talk to people and get more negative information that they then feed out. And yet only 18% of brands strive to respond to customer complaints on social media within an hour. So only 18% respond within an hour. In that hour, they could have been on their friends. Each, everybody's got at least 100 Facebook and, and LinkedIn and Twitter friends. I mean, you could have spoken to thousands of people in that hour. Now you need to respond really quickly. Over 50% respond within 24 hours. Now, that's nonsense. You might as well not respond. And 22% don't respond at all. They just hope it'll go away. So it appears that social media and marketing people respond to negative comments in various ways. Firstly, I totally ignore them. They stick their head in the sand and say, well, if I don't respond, I'll just go away. Well, if I went into your office or went into your store and I threw a fit and complained and bitched, would you ignore me? No, you do whatever you can to pacify me. So why is it okay to ignore complaints on social networks? The reality is that it isn't okay. In fact, it's absolutely fraught with danger. You are asking for trouble. The second way social media and marketing and people respond to negative comments is that they, um, they might try to delete them. They take the, if nobody sees them, it didn't happen. Well, this just angers the customer more and this fuels more negative comments to more people. As I said, you know, people have got at least 100 friends on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Google Plus and all the rest of them. So a complaint from one or even a few customers can grow exponentially, costing you potentially thousands of new customers. So what does the average company do about it? Nothing. <laughs> God. The third thing you can do is respond in kind. You know, they criticize you, so you let fly with an angry or a really defensive comment. <sighs> My panel operator is pointing to me saying, that's you. That's what you do. It isn't true. Trust me. <laughs> Um, in the same way as ignoring or deleting a, a complaint, this is only going to exacerbate it. It's going to piss people off. It's going to make an already negative situation much worse. So you need to remember the old adage, and it's hard to do, I agree. The customer is always right, no matter how wrong they happen to be. And you also need to remember that the complaining customer is not the only person that's going to be privy to this exchange. There's all these other people that are, are um, 
on social media that are going to see the exchange as well. Of course, you can try to placate them with some sort of um, hollow apology, you know, just sort of be patronising. Um, the problem with this is that it doesn't appear to be sincere. The person you're offering it to doesn't think it's sincere. It doesn't offer a real solution to the complaint. And again, the situation gets worse. And because it offers no solution to the problem, the customer certainly isn't going to give you a second chance. And judging by the figures that I just mentioned, it appears that marketers and social media people make these mistakes all the time, especially when there are multiple complaints. They find it easier to either ignore, delete, or placate. That is a disaster. What you must do is offer an apology and a solution. You've got to say, we hear you. We really value our customers. We will do whatever we can to make this right immediately, now, this second. It's your opportunity to turn a really pissed off customer into a raving fan. So, you know, they obviously had some loyalty to you because they bought from you in the first place. They probably liked your Facebook page. They followed you on Twitter. Now they've had an unpleasant experience and they just want to know that they've been listened to and you'll make things right. I think sometimes brands forget that handling complaints via social media is the same as dealing with them face-to-face, except that the stakes are much higher and it can almost instantly spiral totally out of control. If the customer was standing in front of you with a complaint, you wouldn't ignore them, you wouldn't walk away from them, or simply apologise without trying to solve it. So you can't do that with social networking sites. It just is not acceptable. And I know some from personal experience in one instance just recently that when somebody that you're dealing with deals with your complaint effective, effectively, you know, you'll go and tell your friends how awesome the company is and what great customer service they offer. I had this instance a few weeks ago and I was really cheesed off. They came back, they satisfied me, they went out of their way, they were sincere, they really cared and now I'm one of their greatest advocates. I was before the problem and I'm back to even probably being a bigger evangelist from the, for the brand than I was before. That is powerful and best still, it's free marketing. So you've established your brand loyalty and your trust to a greater degree than you would have if there'd never been a complaint. And you've got to remember that no matter how fantastic your customer is, your, your, sorry, your company is or your product is, mistakes happen. Customers will get upset and they'll complain. It's not always your fault. You know, sometimes they misinterpret, but it doesn't matter. With the growth of social media, they expect to be able to lodge these complaints and get immediate resolution via the social networks. So instead of thinking it as somebody bitching at you, think of it as an opportunity to prove how awesome your company is or not. The choice 
is totally yours. Now, this program's all about entrepreneurs. We salute you, whether you've just opened a dry cleaners or maybe you've developed a fantastic new app. We don't care. We don't care if you're 14 or 114. If you're an entrepreneur and you've got enough guts to get off your ass and get out there and give it a go, we are big fans and we'll do anything we can to assist you. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and the whole reason we exist is to assist entrepreneurs become more successful. So if you've got a question about any aspect of business, I don't care whether it's customer service or whether it's how to do a SWOT analysis or whether it's a financial thing or whether it's about IP protection or whether it's about um, cost-effective tax structure, no matter what it is, please don't hesitate to drop me an email at bob at bobpritchard.com. That's P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D. And we'll answer it on air or we'll email you a direct answer. If you're listening to this show anywhere in the world and you get the, the opportunity or you see an advertisement advertisement for a movie called The Rocket, I know it's just opened in England, so if you're listening to this show in England and you get the opportunity to see The Rocket, it is set in Laos and it is fantastic. I really cannot tell you how much or how good this movie is and I guarantee you that you will love it. If you go along and you don't walk out of there absolutely loving this movie, write me a dirty email. Tell me I'm a jerk. Don't know what I'm talking about. But it ain't going to happen because it's really great. It's called The Rocket. It's really emotional. Take, take along your Kleenex. After the break, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Kathy Kramer. Now, she's the founder and managing partner of the Kramer Institute in St. Louis, Missouri. And she's enjoyed extraordinary success with more than 300 major corporations, 60 hospitals, and the United States Air Force. And she is a great, fun lady. She is really interesting. She is bloody smart. And we had a great time on the phone. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. And I'll be back with Kathy, Dr. Kathy Kramer, in just a moment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. 
Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, this is a segment of the show where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people, the services that they provide, and what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business, and we all need all the help that we can get. And that's why it's so important to not only have mentors, but to also take on board the advice that we can glean from people who have already achieved success. Now, Kathy Kramer, Dr. Kathy Kramer, PhD, is the founder and managing partner of the Kramer Institute in St. Louis, Missouri. For more than 30 years, she and her colleagues have pioneered the development of asset-based thinking. That's an approach to coaching, consulting and training and inspiring individuals and organizations. Kathy's the author of seven books. Seven books, that's a hell of a lot of work. I've done five books and boy, oh boy, takes a lot of effort. The latest release in the Asset Basing Thinking series, Lead Positive, What Highly Effective Leaders See, Say and Do, has just hit the bookshelves. Now, Kathy's worked with organized such as Organizations such as DuPont, Microsoft, Starbucks, Peabody Energy, Deloitte's, MasterCard and the US Air Force, all of whom have adopted asset-based thinking approaches to developing their leaders and managing change. Kathy also founded the St. Louis University Medical Center's Healthline and was named director of its Stress Center. Under her leadership, programs in corporate wellness, stress prevention and lifestyle improvement were adopted nationwide by more than 300 corporations, 60 hospitals and the United States Air Force. That's a pretty good track record. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. How are you? Hi, Bob. I'm, I'm just great and I love to hear your voice and that wonderful accent of yours. You can make anybody sound good. Oh, really? I've... I've been living in America for 25 years, and I sound like I got off the boat yesterday. I don't know what it is, but it just will not go away. Well, don't try to chase it away. It's very uh, intriguing and interesting, and most Americans love English well-spoken in another accent, so uh, hang on to that. Okay. Well, I think... You know, it's it's a bit like the old hard to teach new dog old dogs new tricks. So I think I'm stuck with this, uh, Kathy. Somewhere around ninety seven percent of all businesses fail, and it's usually not because the products or services that they create are not good. In the overwhelming majority of cases, it's because they really know very little about how to run a business, and we've been brainwashed into thinking that if you've got a great product then people will come, and that simply isn't true. So 
Your new book, Lead Positive, What Highly Effective Leaders See, Say and Do, is that targeted to the 3% who succeed or, you know, that who have a strong understanding of how to run a business or is it targeted to everybody? Well, it's really targeted across the board, everybody, because it's all about how to to develop internally so you can excel externally. Right. And I think um, asset-based thinking, a focus, grabbing the spotlight of your attention and focusing on what's working, even if it's a small sign of progress, what strengths you're bringing to the party and other people are contributing also, What what is it that you can really value and leverage? And that leads to the optimism, confidence, and resilience it takes to run any business, large or small. Okay, I'm, this is a sort of a weird question, but I've always been successful and I've always been confident, but I belong to a group in Los Angeles called Metal, which is Media Entertainment Technology Alpha Leaders, and they're the top 1,600 or so people in those professions um, across the country. And I must admit, we have meetings every Saturday, and I go along, and I go in feeling really confident that Bob Pritchard that's conquered the world for all these years, and after mixing with all these geniuses, I walk out thinking... I just feel, you know, I feel sort of inferior. You know, my confidence, instead of getting increased, gets minimized somehow. Why is that? Well, you know, uh, in psychology, there's a couple of terms that might explain it. Upward comparison and downward comparison. And this really comes out of the happiness literature. Uh, If you are comparing yourself to somebody who is better than you are in any domain, um, that can lead to uh, a sense that you're kind of one down. If you compare yourself to people uh, who are not as competent as you are, of course, that's going to lead to that one up Um, However, I I would like to add to that and just say to you that our principle in um, asset-based thinking is what you admire in someone else, you actually have in yourself or else you couldn't see it. Now, it might not be as fully developed as somebody that you're speaking with, interacting, listening to, but you have that in yourself and one of the questions we uh, really recommend, highly recommend, that leaders ask each other, um, ask people who report to them, ask people who they report to, how do you do that? So there's probably a skill set or a competency that you are um, admiring, and as you begin to uh, interact with people and ask them that very probing question, which, by the way, is the most reinforcing question, you can, you can ask anybody because it really is a huge compliment. People like to be admired, and they may say to you, gosh, I really don't know how I do that. But as they probe and as you probe, they'll be able to give you some ideas of where to start cultivating more of that in yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit like you spend half an hour with somebody like 
an Elon Musk or a Tim Draper or someone and you sit there and think, you know, maybe I should be a bank teller. <laughs> well, you're obviously not looking through the asset-based thinking lens. You're looking through deficit-based thinking, which is quite normal and natural, and uh, we come by it by the evolution of our species and also by the nurturing that we get in our families and schools that people point out uh, what is missing, what's yeah. weak what could be better. And, you know, we're more sensitive to that. So that has kind of a downward spiral um, effect unless we intentionally and practice asset-based thinking. Okay. So what does it mean to lead positive? What does that exactly mean? Well, I have to tell you that one one of my editors at Josie Bass, Susan... Williams uh, came up with the title after many of us on the team had been kind of trying to wrestle the title to the ground. Mm. And I remember seeing it for the first time and I called her and I said, Susan, this is not grammatical. And she laughed and she said, it doesn't have to be grammatical. Uh, We want people to notice it and pull it off the shelf. And then she said, who doesn't want to lead positive? And I thought, you know, she's really right that most leaders who we um, encounter uh, have a desire, a firm, uh, firm goal that they will lead in a way that inspires people and that creates a positive culture because they know uh, intuitively that people go farther, faster, they're more committed if the leader goes first and really shines the spotlight of his or her attention on what's possible. Right. I've asked this people of many. I've asked this question of many people and never got a really good answer. How many people are born leaders? And can you can you teach somebody to be a great leader? I mean, you look at a a, um, a Steve Jobs, for example. A born leader. I, I saw him speak, um, uh, and he had a crowd of about ten thousand. And if he, if he had have said, "Let's all go and jump off the Grand Canyon," they all would have gone. You know. So, what gives somebody that sort of leadership? Is that an ability, or is that simply charisma? Well, I like to break that ability, charisma, you might call it, into three main areas. Yeah, and. So you were listening to Steve Jobs speak, and that is the second step in the chain reaction of see, say, do, right? So what do highly effective leaders say? How do they communicate? And uh, in the book, we talk, we, we, we analyze lots of people and lots of great speeches, and we, we believe there are three main elements that can make someone uh, have speak in a way that is memorable and inspiring. The first of the elements is substance, and Steve Jobs is a subject matter expert. And Absolutely. so when, right, when he speaks about the, the what, what, he's, what he has created, what he believes is the next phase of technology, what he is aiming for, there's a kind of credibility there that's built in and a, a kind of confidence that 
really follows, right? Okay. And then the sizzle, element number two is sizzle, and you could break that down in a lot of ways, but it's it's story time. How can you tell a story? Give um, give an example, so you're not just saying what, but you're saying how, how we're going to get there, how we're going to feel about it. Uh, he has a great way of bringing in emotional um, intelligence, which we all have, and yep. he's not afraid to be passionate. Yep. And that's really what Sizzle's all about. And the third element in our structure here is called soul. And this is uh, being willing to reveal how you, the leader, what what leading means to you, what creating the next benchmark, achieving the next goal, creating the next vision, what that really means to you. And uh, there's no question that this uh, that Steve Jobs and many other people can be authentic and really speak uh, into the meaning of it's kind of the why of the proposition. If you think about substances, the what and sizzle is the how. Really, soul is the why. Why is this so important? And that is those three um, ingredients, uh, I believe, can be practiced, learned, and uh, as we begin to kind of deconstruct or decode what charismatic people do, we can begin to imitate. Okay, so... Is is being charismatic something that you're born with? That I mean, like I, I think I look at a, a Bill Clinton. Um, he is he doesn't have to even open his mouth. He walks into a room, and he owns the room. Now, is that because others um, recognise him as a superstar or whatever the word is, or is that just way he handles himself, the way he looks, the way he? It, it, just such an imposing figure. What is it? Well, so I think you can break this down and really uh, claim it for yourself. So here's another way to learn. Bill Clinton, although I have never personally been in his presence, I certainly have been in an audience, right? Yeah. And he is able to connect. Uh, I'm told that most people feel like they're the only person in yep. the room, in a crowded room. He is totally present to to whomever he's speaking with. And uh, in a large true. crowd, right, uh, in a large crowd, we teach leaders to really what we call land on people, really connect, really see them. And most leaders go into presentation mode when they're speaking. And that's the kiss of death, really, because it's... Um, it's, it causes people to think about you as a performer, and then they start watching you. So what it, happens it comes across Clinton, as artificial. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Um, yes, and canned, right? The message canned. But when Bill Clinton and many other people, highly visible, not so highly visible, really create a, the intention of being totally present to the person or the wider audience, this is what lets charisma shine through. So my answer to you is we all have it, but we get in our own way. Okay. So the second part of the title, what highly effective leaders see, say, and do, what does that mean? Well, 
the whole idea of taking action is really uh, the proof of the pudding, right? So um, a leader, sometimes we kind of overuse the phrase, you've got to walk the talk. Yep. Walking, right, is a form of doing. So I believe that if leaders can let us know what are they looking at, what is the possibility they see, what is the strength, what is the value, what is the... Uh, the goal, the aim, and then speak it clearly and then say, here is what I am going to do to move forward, to move towards this vision. Um, Even if the vision is we're going to start our staff meetings on time, you know, here's what I'm going to do. And the, uh, the invitation there is watch me. Watch me. Watch what I do and join forces with me. Yes, join forces with me. And here's what I'd like for you to do. And people really um, benefit from and respond very well to clarity about what the leader intends to do and what the leader expects others will do. And so that do portion is really important. Okay, you've you've written seven books. Isn't it? It's, it, it, I must admit, every time I finish a book, and I've only had five, so I'm, I'm a novice at this, but um, every time I finish a book, I swear that's going to be the last one. There's so <laughs> much work goes into it. It is incredible. So yeah. um, you've had six books on asset-based thinking, a variety of um, interpretations of that. So... How does this book differ from the previous books? Well, I tell you, I agree with you. It's it's an arduous task and, you know, uh, frightening to look at that blank page, whether it's page one or page 201. Um, and I believe so strongly that leaders at every level of the organization and at every level of our community can go first and and create cultures and teams that are amazing, high-performing teams, and even more than that, help people create an experience of really being in charge of their destiny, of the company's destiny, of the organization's destiny. So it's a leader's role to inspire and most of us were not taught, you know, if we went to business school or uh, a professional school, really the the way to lead is is hardly mentioned. Right. It's beginning now to come into the to the curricula, but most people have not had a chance to really examine their own signature presence as a leader and learn how to leverage it. And so I was very passionate about getting this word out, particularly to people who who step up and know they want to lead for something that they believe in, something that is inspiring to them. So how do we spread that and really enroll other people? Because it's obvious that leaders can't can't go it alone and the complexity is too great right and the the rate of change is too great and the uncertainty is too great so in a nutshell that that's what that's what my motivation is getting an um, asset-based thinking playbook in the hands of people who are leading the average person is 
in my view, a fairly poor communicator in in the main. Um, and um, so, when you're a doesn't matter whether you're got a small business and um, you've. You know, you should be out there talking to local organisations. You should be addressing your Chamber of Commerce. You should be using those means to spread the word. You certainly need to motivate your employees or whether you're the head of General Electric. When you meet somebody, um, what's the most important thing first? Is it the substance? I meet somebody and I've got, forget the the elevator pitch, but I've got five minutes to talk to this person about who I am, what I am, what I do. Um, what's most important? Is it the substance or how do I make that impression? Well, I tell you, the, it, there is research on this and it's been research that's uh, 75 years old. It's cross-cultural. And in the substance sizzle soul domain, I can actually give you the percentages of the relative contribution of each of those areas to having a positive impact. So when I say a positive impact on that elevator or across the dinner table or at the dais, what I'm talking about is what I say is memorable, what I say is motivational, what I say encourages people to act, to take an action, um, and so substance is a necessary, it's the fundamental um, ingredient, uh, and if you don't have it, there's no impact. And today, you know, people have access to unbelievable amounts of information, and sure. I've actually had people uh, in my audience Google things when I talk about the brain, for example, they're going to Google dopamine to see if I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> And, you know, so substance is critical. You have to have it. But here is the interesting fact. It only contributes 7% to the 100% of impact that you want to have. Sizzle, the story, the emotion by which I am communicating, right, what the feeling I'm having right now, audiences tune into that, and they like a story because it's – it's the right hemisphere, the yep. the imagination that you know. So substance you could think of as left hemisphere uh, information um, analytics, but if you have a story to tell, that contributes thirty three percent to your um, impact. And soul, if you're doing the math, is the Whopper effect that that contributes in every study approximately 60%. Sometimes it's 57, sometimes it's right. 52, but on average 60% of your impact is in the why statement. Why this is so important to you, why it's so important to to your audience, why it's so important to the world that you're living in. And um, many people over-prepare. Their, their focus is on substance. And that has given rise to death by PowerPoint and many other, uh, I'll say, errors. We think substance will carry the day, and it just isn't so. It needs the sizzle and the soul to make it memorable and to have people join forces with you. Okay, so that's critical for any business, any business entrepreneur who's out there spreading the word, whether it's one-on-one or talking to your team or whether it's out there 
um, making public presentations to get your message out. That's a yeah. very interesting, they're very interesting figures. Um, so what happens when leaders begin to practice your principles? What, are, what happens? The very first thing that happens is they have a, they have a, a different experience of their day. So deficit-based thinking leads to a lot of stress, a lot of problem focus, um, and, you know, people feel harried, they feel burdened, they have a sense of strain in making something happen. You're always under pressure, I guess, too. Yes, pressure, that constant surge to fix, to produce, to fix again, to correct, Um, And, of course, we can't ignore problems, but what we talk about and what our research shows is five to one, five times more interest and effort leveraging the assets in yourself, in other people, and in every situation, five times more interest and effort focusing on that than on what's the problem, what's missing, what's the mistake. Okay. And that's that's an important ratio. Yeah, it is. So why is this message more important now than ever before? Well, when you think about it, um, the uncertainty, the pace, I mean, these are, uh, they've become almost trite for us to um, itemize how quickly the market changes, how uncertain uh, the future can be, and... This is exactly when you need the traction of asset-based thinking, which will lead to flexibility. You know, if something is working, great, continue it. If it's not, turn the corner and, and try something new. So being proactive and positive is the formula for being as innovative and, and also for the grit, you know, um, you're, you're going to hear this term more and more because we are finding out that children, as they learn, if they, if they struggle to really um, find the answer, if they have to work pretty hard, they develop more and more persistence and what some psychologists are calling grit. And it turns out that grit is... Uh, one of the most important success factors. Right. Uh, you know, you've got staying power if you have grit. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Kathy, we've just about out of time. It's been great speaking with you. I really appreciate it. Now, if you'd like to know more about Kathy and asset-based leadership, and it's, it's very important because I'm going to... Um, I had a flick through your book, and, I'll, uh, and I um, now I'm going to sit down i'm going to read it and i'll talk about it next week on the show after i've had a chance to go through it but if you want to know more about kathy and asset-based leadership go to assetbasedthinking.com that's assetbasedthinking.com and i'll be back with more of the bob pritchard radio show on voice america business after this short break Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. 
listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit. Tell it the way it is. Radio show coming to you this week from my hometown in Los Angeles, where again, the weather is beautiful. The most important person in any business, well, they're the ones who bring in the money, the sales. And it doesn't matter how great your product is, if you don't have sales, you simply do not have a business. Of all the people on your team, the people you don't want to save money on are the salespeople. They're the people that bring in the revenue day after day, week after week. Not only that, they provide you great competitor intelligence because they get told what's going on in the marketplace. They keep a pipeline of contacts, which are all potential sales. The difference between the performance of an excellent salesperson and someone who just knocks on the doors can be enormous, as a number of emails this week told me. John from Thousand Oaks in California has only one salesperson, and Alex, the guy he had for many years, would bring in an average of $285,000 in sales every month. John's in the printing business, which is very competitive, and his margins are pretty slim, but nevertheless, 285 grand a month, he was doing okay. Now, Alex decided to retire and leave the company, and John started looking around for a replacement. He interviewed a guy who had a great track record and was really enthusiastic, but he cost an extra $45,000 a year. So on the base rate, that was nearly double, and he also wanted a 10% higher commission than Alex got. John just had a gut feeling this new guy was okay and just might produce the results. So he decided to bite the bullet and go for it, knowing that he could always replace him if it didn't work out. Now, good on you, John. You know, most people look to pinch. You know, they try to pinch pennies on, on staff in particular. And somebody is important as a salesperson that will definitely bite you in the ass if you don't get a good enough person and if you do get a good enough person if you do get the person that you expect to get with that extra money then it's well worth it <clears throat> john said it worked out spectacularly alan's first month sales despite being brand new to the business was over 300 grand so that's about what like 25,000 more than alex was bringing in within 3 months his sales were over $500,000, almost double the amount that he was quite happy to get from Alex. The company's grown very substantially, profits have grown, and John said paying the extra money for the salesman, despite the fact he didn't have experience in printing, was the best decision he ever made. We were also talking about customer service and an email from Phil who said that he lost his cable service for three days. 
which is not uncommon, I might add. I don't usually lose it for three days, but it can go down a day or two at a time, and I understand that people hit poles and do all that and bring the thing down. But nevertheless, um, if you're without your cable service, it's inconvenient. And if you're in hospital or you're just a plain lazy bastard squatting in front of the TV, then it's important to you. (laughs) So it was a system-wide failure and thousands of customers were affected. And when he phoned the company to see what was happening, during the course of the conversation, he asked them if they would credit him for the three-day service that he didn't receive when the cable was down. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, my cable, internet and phone is about 300 a month. That's $300. That's a lot. And if you're down for three days, that's one-tenth. That's 30 bucks worth of service you haven't got. So he said, would you credit me for the three days? The person he was speaking to said, we can't do that. Do you know how much it would cost us if we credit everybody that's out for the last three days? <laughs> yeah, really? Well, how much business does that attitude cost the cable company? If it was me, I would have had a dish in about 30 seconds. Who do they think they are? And in in relation to how much money they're bringing in, the refund would have been nothing, would have been chicken shit. How much business does it cost to have that sort of attitude? Now, when you speak around the world like I do, you you realise during question time that no matter where you are, the questions are pretty much the same. doesn't matter whether you're in Moscow or Tokyo or... Sydney or Los Angeles, you get the same questions over and over again. And I believe one of the reasons that we're popular is because the advice and expertise that we broadcast every week applies to every business. doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter whether you're a dry cleaner or whether you're an app or um, what sort of business you have, whether you're big, whether you're small, whether you're a startup or whether you're a mature business, it equally applies. So my next email is from Janine Jackson from Santa Ana in California. That's three in a row from California. Well, that's good. And um, Janine says, Dear Bob, thanks for a great program. I listen every week and I thoroughly enjoyed it. My question concerns a SWOT analysis. My accountant told me that I should do one with my staff in order to capture a snapshot of where my company stands today and what it needs to do for the future. I really don't know anything about a SWOT analysis and I thought you may be able to help me work out what I need to do. Well, Janine, your accountant's right and they're not right very often. I reckon accountants are the greatest dream takers in the world. Now, if you come up with the world's best idea and you take it to your accountant, the accountant's going to say, oh, I don't know, it's risky. It's the only thing they can say. Anyway, the best way to objectively review your business is to use a SWOT analysis. Uh, This is an assessment of, for those of you who don't know, SWOT, S stands for strengths, W stands for weaknesses, O stands for opportunities, and T stands for threats. And a a SWOT memorializes all the information about your business in one place so you can sort of readily get a snapshot. And it's absolutely critical 
to have a SWOT when you're planning your business future. It's not an exercise in gathering hundreds of pages of information. It's just a precise and very concise list of issues. You'll want to discuss each of these issues in detail at some point later on. But the initial idea of compiling a SWOT, it's not the time or the place to do the in-depth analysis. It's just to get it on the paper. And um, when you're working on your SWOT, you should include as many people as possible so that you know, people that have a strong knowledge of the business and the business environment that you're working in, um, you know, up to maybe eight or ten people. It also helps if you have a very strong, experienced um, mediator, if that's what the word. So you, you get in someone that has experience at SWATs that can make one hell of a big difference. So what you do is to list all of the things that you believe represent the strengths of your business. This might be um, excellent turnaround time, a dynamic sales team, your brand's well-known, your product's a world beater, and so on. Now, when you've exhausted that list, you start working on what you perceive as your weaknesses. This might be you know, a lack of capital to grow like the way you want, not enough space to perform properly, um, poor marketing strategies, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that can be a weakness. So once you've exhausted that list, then you start listing your opportunities. Now, this might include things like, you know, rapid growth in the area, new patents that you've got that your, that your competition can't match, um, perhaps a highly competitive manufacturing system. And then once you've done that, then you address the threats to your business. These can be consumer um, changes in consumer attitude to your product, Um, government regulation, maybe it's fluctuating currency issues, it's a whole bunch of things, but the most important thing is to get honest feedback, both positive and negative, you must reinforce to attendees that they're not going to get victimised for bringing up negative issues, and once this is complete, At another time, you should address each of these issues you listed and determine how to either maximize the strengths and the opportunities or minimize the weaknesses and the threats. If everybody participating in the meeting is totally honest, then you get a really good picture of now and where you need to be in the future. Janine, thanks for your comments. I really appreciate your email. A copy of your... I'll start again. A copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets... How to Blitz Your Competition, my latest best-selling book, is on its way to you tomorrow. So I hope you enjoyed the show. We're pleased to have been bringing it to you since 2011. God, that seems like forever ago. It's a heap of fun bringing it to you each and every week, and I'll be with you at the same time next week, no matter where you are in the world, to address the critical issues that that affect small businesses everywhere. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. I'm Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.